Today we are blessed. Um, it's hard to believe that uh, Pastor Dustin and Hannah, well, mostly Pastor Dustin and Hannah has been kind of in and out here for a while, um, has been here for a month. And uh, we're just so excited for what God, yeah, amen. We are just so excited for what God is doing in him and uh, what he is doing um, in our church. And God's just going to bless this. We're, um, many of you know we were looking for quite a while. And God brought the right person at the right time. And uh, we are so blessed. He's going to come and share today. Before he comes, we'd like to welcome his parents who are with us today, Greg and Paula. Uh, thank you for being here. Sister Cassie, thank you so much. Uh, we're blessed to have them. And uh, would you please just show your appreciation one more time as he comes to minister the word of God today. Well, I'm excited because before I got here, I had been thinking a whole lot about, man, we should, we should, the Lord was stirring in my heart that we should start a young adult Bible study. And I got here and I started putting some things together and chatting with a few people about this. And I found out from almost every person that I talked to, man, we would love to have a young adult Bible study because we've been looking for something to do. And um, when young adults, you know, in Scripture, it says that idle hands are the enemy's playground, right? So um, as, as funny as that might be in some cases with young adults, we want to make sure that we're providing an awesome, fun place for young adults to come out, okay? So if that's you, if you're interested, I chatted with some of you before, uh, before I came up here. So if I talk to you, make sure if you want to come that you chat with Hannah and I or uh, someone on the leadership team before uh, you leave today. That is starting next Sunday, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and that's going to be a good time. I want us to understand today that none of us are here by accident. I'm sure you've heard that said before, but I, I just want to reiterate that, that we're not here by accident today, but, but that God has a great plan with what he's going to do right here in this service. He's already done amazing things. I heard some outstanding things from what has happened in Bible study this morning, God is moving in the lives of people, and we're excited to be a part of that. Amen? Today, I'm going to talk to you about how your value to God is beyond comprehension. Your value to God is beyond comprehension. The enemy really loves to get in the mind of people and try and, and throw them to the ground in, in their minds. They think that they're nothing because of the mistakes that they've made. They think that they can't amount to anything because of what has happened to them in their life. And they think that no matter what they do, they just can't amount to anything. And this is a lie that the devil puts in our minds, and it has to stop. And today, that's what we're going to try and look at in a, in a biblical sense, that our value to God is beyond comprehension. God formed and designed you intentionally and on purpose. God formed and designed you intentionally and on purpose. And if you ever thought that nobody loves you, I challenge you to think again on that. Because God loves you and he sees you right where you are. When I was in college, I, I went on tour with uh, a speaker named Jason Maupin. He was the director of our school. And what Jason did is he would speak in the public school systems and he would do a message of hope uh, during the day, a, a message of love and hope during the day. And then in the evenings, he would invite them back for a faith-based school assembly. And he would tell them during the day, he would say, guys, want to invite you back out tonight. And, and just like by law, obviously, you can't talk about Jesus during the school day if you're a speaker coming in for an assembly. You just, they don't allow you to do that. 
And so what, uh, what some organizations have done is, is allowed these people to come in during the day and then do a faith-based assembly at night. So that's what we did. And during the school day, after he's done with his message in the public high school, he says, I, I invite you to come out tonight. I want to tell you beforehand that I will be sharing my personal faith, and I want you to come out and listen. And so we, we had been on tour for uh, about that whole month. Basically, every weekend, we were out doing an event somewhere in Wisconsin. That's where I'm from. If you don't know me enough yet, I'm from the state of Wisconsin, born and raised in a little town called Ripon, which is the home of Ripon Good Cookies, and they are Ripon Good Cookies. <laughs> we lived right down the road from there, and um, you know, my family can attest, every once in a while, we'd walk outside, and we'd smell that beautiful smell of cookies in the air, that sweet, sweet smell on that morning. And uh, the dew's on the ground, you just smelling those cookies. I don't know how it got in the air, but it did. And then we, we moved across town. I was a little sad about it because I knew that we were going to uh, be getting away from that cookie smell. Well, I walk outside one morning, and all the way across town, you could still smell those cookies. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's some good cookies. That's not what I came here to tell you about today, though, because there's a better message that God has laid in my heart. But try those ripping good cookies. So... We were in Marinette, Wisconsin. That's the northern part of Wisconsin, almost in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And as we were there, we did the school assemblies during the day. There were probably 2,000 students that were there in attendance for all the different assemblies that we did. And so what us students would do is we would dance. And before you laugh, because you think I probably can't dance, you're right, okay? But we would dance to a song during the day, and the idea with the dance is that it would help people to realize that they can take off their mask and show people who they really are. They didn't have to cover up who they were anymore, but the message during the day was take off your mask because we'll accept you where you are. And that went on during the day. Well, the evening came, and we did the faith-based assembly, and there was a student sitting in the, sitting in the lobby. And there was a few different students. We were told to mix and mingle with some of the students before we uh, came in for the evening faith-based assembly. And so we did that. We, we hung out with them for a little bit, got to know them. I met a kid named Alex, really cool guy. He had actually uh, had an accident earlier. He had, um, he had been in the gym uh, during gym class, and he had some dumbbells he was working with. And a dumbbell fell right on his finger. And not to be gory or anything, the, the dumbbell chopped off the end of his finger, and he had to go to the hospital and get that sewn back on, Okay. So all the medical people in the room are like, wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. I like that. Um, so that happened, and he was obviously on pain pills for this. This was, you know, because that hurts. And so we went on with the assembly. Jason Maupin got up there, and he looked out at the crowd of 450 students. And, and that's not an exaggeration, evangelistically speaking. <laughs> there were 450 people in the bleachers. And he got to the end of his message. To make a long story short, the altar call happened, and 400 students came forward to accept Jesus Christ for the first time or to rededicate their lives. We were absolutely amazed. All of us students were sick. A lot of us, I was, for some reason, I was feeling fine. But a lot of the students were sick with the flu and colds. Jason, who was speaking, had a cold, and he was just giving it his best in his weakness. And God used him mightily. God used him mightily. 400 students came forward, and so he just switched spots with them. He went up in the bleachers and looked at all of them down at the altar. And in, in what we had to do, there were only 30 workers for 400 students to accept the Lord. So we grouped up in groups of 10, and God did an amazing work. Well, one of the students I found out, the kid named Alex that I met before, was, uh, had accepted Christ. And I saw him out in the lobby afterward again. And he was kind of sitting at a table crying, and I went up to him. I'm like, Alex, what's going on, man? Are you all right? And he's like, yeah, 
He's like, everything that, that Jason said tonight, the message of the gospel really rang true for me. He said, that, um, he said I accepted Jesus tonight. And he, he, said, I was, he said, I had pain pills because of my, my hand. He said, and I was going to go home and, and take all of those pills tonight because I didn't want to live my life anymore. He said, that was my plan for the evening was, was to take my own life. And he said that uh, because of the message of Jesus that he didn't feel he had to do that anymore. He came from an abusive home and it was just not a good situation for him. But the power of God moved in his life. He, re- he went from coming into there feeling like worthless and realizing that his value to God is a- absolutely outstanding. And so that's what I want us to get today, that your value to God is beyond comprehension. Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 18, if you want to open up there. Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 18. A man named Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It was quite, quite the life that this man had. And so when he speaks, if I was alive during that time, if he spoke, I would want to listen. Ephesians 1, 17 to 18 says... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Hope. Biblical hope. What we want to see there is biblical hope is is something you're very sure about that hasn't happened yet. Biblical hope is something you're very sure about that hasn't happened yet. Our hope is that we're going to be face-to-face with God. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face-to-face. I know in part, then I shall fully know even, if I, even as I am fully known. So as we look at the life of Paul, he also wrote 1 Corinthians. Paul's saying that he, he knows in part about God, but he's saying that eventually he will know in full about God because he will see God face to face. Then he will know fully about God. God gives us this opportunity because your value to God is beyond comprehension. We see that Paul wants us to know about this hope, about seeing God face to face. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead, we are saved because we have the opportunity to be with God for eternity. Amen. As, as, we, as we look in the life of Paul, he knows he's going to see God face to face. And I, I think about these verses when we hear about hope, and sometimes we might think that the hope they're talking about is hoping for good things in life. And yes, Paul wants us to see hope here, and we can hope for good things because good things come in life at time to time, but I think uh, it's a different kind of hope than we're probably thinking. We get so worked up about things going right for us here on earth. Now, obviously, there's some essential things that we do need, but we have to be very careful that we don't, we don't get too wrapped up in things like this on earth. Uh, Job is a very good example in Scripture of this. I'm not going to go too deep into the story of Job, but for those who kind of understand it, um, and maybe those who don't, I'm going to give just a quick synopsis. That man had a family. That man had livestock. That man had basically everything that he needed. And Scripture says he was a man that was faithful. He was a man that loved God. And what happened to him was, long story short... His livestock died, his family died, and I believe what he only had was his wife. Don't quote me on that at this time, I can't remember. But 
What's important is that he had a lot of stuff taken away. And so what happened was he decided to stay faithful and say, God, don't know what's going on here. And he got upset and he told God, anybody ever had a day like that? You're just mad and you just got to tell God what you're thinking. He can handle that. In fact, at youth group, we talked about that on Tuesday night uh, with the students. I told them that sometimes you can, you can tell God what you're really thinking because he can handle that, but we shouldn't base our lives off of that. We shouldn't base our lives off of always complaining to God about everything that we need. If you had everything taken away from you, what would you have? The answer should be that you have Jesus Christ. He obviously, he gave you the opportunity to have salvation in him. So in your heart, there should, that should be enough for you in this life. However, we know that that's easier said than done. But it is possible to have that kind of faith. For instance, if I just woke up one morning and all of a sudden I forgot how to play all my instruments or my voice was hoarse, my home was taken away, my car, my wife, everything else was taken away, what would I have? Some of us in this room have had some of those things taken away from us. And that's hard. And so then what is our foundation? What is our foundation? You better believe that if those things got taken away from me, that I'd have Jesus. I'd have my faith in God, knowing that the things of this earth are not as important as the fact that I'm going to live free for eternity with Jesus. Matthew 6 talks about this. Verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So when we're going through the worst of times and when the bills just aren't adding up the way that we want them to and when our car has issues and, and uh, family members making decisions that disappoint us, whatever is going on, we have to know that our response should be to cry out that because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. You know that old song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. There's a power that God is working in us. This, this idea is that God has the power to make what is bad into what is good in our lives. It's this idea of sanctification. Sanctification, simply put, is the act or process of acquiring sanctity, of being made or becoming holy. Another verses, a few more verses in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleaned. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. This idea of sanctification is not necessarily immediate. Yes, when we ask Jesus into our hearts, we receive a, a immediate forgiveness for our sins, but throughout our lives, we'll go through progressive sanctification, meaning that as we continue to read Scripture, and as we continue to pray, and as we continue to live for God, we'll continually be sanctified, and our old way of life will be dropped as we experience new life with Jesus Christ. Moses. Anybody remember Moses in the Old Testament? Moses is a, is a man that 
is a great example of not achieving, not achieving perfection right away. And I wouldn't define Moses as, I wouldn't say that's his overall definition, because what, <laughs> what an example to be thousands of years later. Uh, but he is, however, a man that had some issues. He had a situation where the Israelites needed water in Exodus 17. See, Moses was a man who was leading millions of people. They were, they were held in Pharaoh's captivity, and he was leading the Israelites out of there. And so on his journey, there were a lot of different things that happened, including one time in Exodus 17, where the Israelites were like, Moses, dude, what on earth are you doing? We are thirsty. Have you let us out here to die, Moses? What are you doing? And so we looked there. They were pretty upset. And Moses talked to God about it because they needed some water. It was a simple thing. A lot of us have water in here, but they didn't. And so God gave Moses specific instructions. This is what God said to Moses. Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you use to strike the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you. This is God speaking. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. Easy. Take a staff, strike the rock, Water comes out. Easy. Well, he did that. That's easy instructions. Moses struck the rock as he was told. Water gushed out. Everything worked out fine. Well, then, Numbers 20 comes around, and they were, still, they were thirsty again. Numbers 20, verses 7 to 12, says this. The Lord said to Moses, this time, You and Aaron must take the staff and, assembly, and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. Speak to the rock. These were the instructions this time. Speak to the rock, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to, gather, uh, to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then, excuse me, then Moses raised his, stand, his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. He struck the rock twice, the water gushed out, the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. I don't know if you caught that in there, but the instructions were, speak to the rock. And what he did was struck the rock twice. Disobeyed God. And we see that because Moses did not listen to God, he was not even going to be the one to lead them into the promised land which was their goal. Moses was a man of great honor. He was. But even he wasn't perfect and had his flaws. And this particular instance cost him the opportunity to go into the place that he had been hoping for all along. Our whole lives will be filled with opportunities to be sanctified. Our whole lives. Only if we view them as opportunities to be sanctified. Because a lot of times we look at our mistakes and we think, man, that was, a, that was a stupid mistake. I can't believe I did that. But these are opportunities to be sanctified. Now Moses says, should we go on sinning? I'm sorry, Paul said, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Meaning, should we keep sinning so that we can get more, gr- excuse me, so that we can get more grace? And he's like, absolutely not. Don't do that. But know that when you do mess up, his grace is there to hold you. So we talked about the power that God is working in us and now our worth to God. Your value to God 
is beyond comprehension. There are many things in these verses in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. I, I encourage you, if you've got a pen and paper, a phone, iPad, whatever, write that down. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And just meditate on that today or this week or whatever because it shows us how much God values us. And I believe there are a few things that Paul wanted us to know here. So we're going to go on, Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 19. You want to open up again, verses 18 to 19 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's take a look at this here. That you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the glorious riches of his, I'm sorry, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So what that's saying there is God has an inheritance. So what's the inheritance? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In the saints would mean us. So God has an inheritance and we are his inheritance if we believe in God. Why on earth? Would the creator of the universe want us? After we've messed up so many times, we are imperfect human beings. I have to tell you, we've failed miserably from time to time. I mean, think of the worst sin that you've ever committed. Even every time we sin, we fail God. And we, when we're going against what Scripture says, how can we expect God to love us? But He does anyway. He loves us with an, a, a never-ending love. And it's amazing to me that we would be an inheritance to God. He created us. And we made some terrible mistakes, starting with Adam and Eve and on. But i got to tell you, God sees us as an inheritance. And you're special to God. Very special to God. Amen. In the book of Hosea, God speaks to this man and tells him to marry a prostitute. If you think the Old Testament is boring, think again. Go back and read it. It's like a crazy movie that just, just nuts. Right? So he goes and he marries someone who's unfaithful. Who would want to marry someone that is unfaithful? Now, Hannah and I have been together for almost eight years, and um, we've been married about eight months. February 10th, it'll be eight months. Brownie points there. <laughs> eight months, February 10th. Thank you, Lord. But I think it's normal to make sure with the other person that, that they're going to be faithful to you. And well, after this amount of time, we found each other to be faithful, and that's one of the reasons why we married each other in the first place. But for Hosea, he's got a different little situation going on here where God asks him to marry a prostitute, and so he does. He marries a woman named Gomer, and she was unfaithful to him many times, so much so that Gomer was being sold again in prostitution. You've got to read this book. But Hosea was told by the Lord, even though she was going to be sold into prostitution again, he said, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Now, this is not a normal occurrence to practice. I don't encourage anybody to do, to do what Hosea did. I don't condone it. But think of your situation right now that you might be in, because what, what Hosea learned was the forgiveness of God. What Hosea learned, if we look at this, that Hosea was asked to marry someone who was in, in sin. And God asked him to forgive her and take her back as his wife. And when we go out and we sin and we make a mess of our lives and we make a mess of ourselves, God is there saying, 
hey, look, I know you messed up. I know what you've done was wrong. I know that you can't make up for it for yourself, and you deserve to be cast into the pits of hell. But that, that, no, none of that has to happen because I sent my son Jesus into the world to die for your sins and, to, and then to be risen again on the third day, proving that he was the son of God. And guess what? That defeated all the powers of hell. And so in the same way that Hosea forgave his wife Gomer, in the same way God is forgiving you and has forgiven you because the work is done. The work has been completed on the cross. <clears throat> My wife Hannah is an elementary school teacher, and she's she just got her substitute license this week, which is a really cool thing. She can start subbing a little bit here. and She loves the elementary school books as well, and so she's always reading them. She just, you know, every, every day she's reading me another book that she finds. Uh, she was even reading with the family this weekend. There's these books called What Do You Do With a Problem? What Do You Do With a Chance? What Do You Do With an Idea? This book, What Do You Do With a Problem, talks about how sometimes the problem is looming over you, this problem that, that kind of encapsulates you. And, and in the book, the kid just kind of tries to walk away from it and say, uh, maybe if I ignore it, the problem will go away. Maybe if I just say, forget it, I, I don't want to worry about this anymore, it will go away. But every time he looked back, the problem was still there, it was still looming over him like that dark cloud behind him that doesn't go away. And so at the end of the book, it says... What do you do with a problem? And the moral of the story is this kid faced it. He looked his, his problem in the eye and he faced it. And he conquered the problem that he had going on with him. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I don't know if the kid in the book had a problem with forgiveness. Whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about. Forgiveness was abounding. In all these stories we talked about today. And let me tell you guys, it was undeserved forgiveness. There is much more to the story than this about Hosea. Uh, but for the context I want to cover, this is enough in Hosea. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your worst day, your worst moment, God looked at you and desired you. He wants you. He desires relationship with you. And it really doesn't matter what you've done. It really doesn't matter what you've done. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this means that God knew what bad thing you were going to do and died for you anyway. Did you deserve it? By no means. You and I deserve absolutely nothing because of the mistakes that we've made. Absolutely nothing. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to never see the light of another day, all of us in here. But get this today and please don't leave it here without understanding this today. We've heard the story of Jesus so many times, but man, I pray today that it'll sink in deep. Jesus Christ intentionally died for you on the cross of Calvary. And if it wasn't for that, we would all be cast in, into hell for the rest of eternity. Matthew thirteen forty through 42 says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what we deserved based on our sins and based on what we've done in our lives, every single one of us. But what Jesus Christ has done is He has intentionally bridged the way for you and it wasn't as if he waited for you to get better because he knows that people just make mistakes no he saw you in the deep pit of addiction depression sorrow grief sin and jesus christ then decided even though it was going to be tough to get stripped and beaten and mocked 
and put, on a, and put to death on a cross for you and for me, and he made the ultimate sacrifice of his life that gave you the opportunity to be free. Somebody thank the Lord this morning because he is good in this place. This message is the real deal. The message of the gospel is the real deal. So real that the disciples that were with Jesus and saw him die starting to tell others, uh, started to tell others about him as well. And some of them even had their lives taken from them because they were doing this. The message reached across the eschaton of time and reached to the year of 2018 so that right here at Byesville Assembly of God, I could tell you the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. God is so good and he is so faithful. So I'll say what I said at the beginning again. If you ever thought that no one did anything for you, I challenge you to think again and I urge you to see and understand what Jesus Christ has done for you because the work has been completed, it is finished, and it is available to you today. If you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart and accepted that he was crucified for our sins and rose from the dead, what happened was uh, God basically erased your sin from his memory. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now going back to the first part of Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see, there is love and love that is abounding from the throne of God. And in this life, we've got to know that no matter what we do, no matter what happens, that we can trust in the blood of Jesus. We can trust in what Jesus has done for us. We can trust and know that Jesus loves us today. I was lost. I was in chains. The world had a
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. This is the classic verse. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Your value to God is beyond comprehension. And, and if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I, I'd like for you to, to consider this today. If, 2 Corinthians 2 says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You know, we looked at, uh, we looked at our value to God. And I think one of the, the core things about our value to God is that He would send His Son Jesus for us. He would send His Son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus today. Maybe you've had this opportunity many times, and you just feel like, uh, honestly, in your heart, you just m- might not think that you, can, that you can do it because you think you're going to make some mistakes again. Well, we're going to make mistakes throughout our whole life. And God looks at us, and He says, Hey, man, or hey, girl, I got you. I'm going to help you. Because we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with with Jesus and we're doing it with believers that are here as well and so we're going to go ahead and pray this prayer today and if if that's you if you want to accept Jesus I encourage you just to pray this in your heart as I do I'm going to pray a prayer and I I want everybody in this room to pray it with uh, to pray it in their hearts I I, you don't need to speak it out loud or anything if you want to go ahead we're just going to pray and this invitation to accept Jesus you can accept right now let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I I, I know that I've made mistakes, but I thank you so much for the opportunity to have salvation. And so, God, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I know that I've made mistakes. And just think about those mistakes that you've made right now as you acknowledge what you've done to God. Jesus, forgive us of those things. God, Help us to turn from our ways and help us to live for you. God, we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. We believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead on the third day, proving that he was truly the Son of God. On that day, we believe that he defeated all the powers of hell and that Satan cannot come against us. God, I ask for forgiveness and I accept all these things today. I pray that you give me people around me that will help me to live a life according to your plan and your will. I thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you've prayed that prayer, I would love to talk to you afterward and just give you kind of some next steps things because the journey uh, does not end here. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to invite Pastor Joe to come out and close this morning. Thank you, Pastor Dustin. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I do invite you. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what you've done. The Bible says in Revelation that we overcome the devil. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's important that you share what God's done in your life today. As we, uh, as we close today, I want to just invite you. Come Next week is a special week. Every one of our staff members is going to be tag team preaching next Sunday with our wives it'll be fun make sure you come and and join us would you stand please Father you are so good you're so amazing we love you so much 
today, thank you, Lord, that you valued us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for the word that was shared this morning. I pray that we would live our life close to you. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to to, uh, grow in our walk with you each day. We love you, Lord. Help us, God, as we leave this place to, to go and be light to dark places. Help us, God, to reach people with the love of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being here today. Hug someone's neck before you leave. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.